the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The man who denied Jesus three times now sees Jesus stooping down to his level, using his own language to come to the place where he can then stoop down to lift Peter up. And now the air has been cleared, and now the love has been restored. I, I suppose, and you know I don't know this, I suppose that shortly after this conversation, at some other point, Peter was able to say agapeo. But here, he just doesn't want to overestimate his devotion, and Jesus stoops down to where he is to lift them up. Jesus' mercy toward his followers has been evident time and time again in the Gospel of John. And today is no exception. Jesus and Peter will have a beautiful and redemptive conversation that you get to witness centuries later. As Pastor Gary wraps up this series in John today, you'll be reminded of Peter's failure, his denial of Jesus, but you'll see Jesus himself inviting Peter back into the relationship, showing him forgiveness and setting him up for the ministry that was to come. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John chapter 20 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. You know that old expression, seeing is believing. And that's basically what he says to Thomas. Seeing is believing. But he says, Thomas, everyone after you, which includes us here, the motto is different. It's not seeing is believing. It's believing is seeing. Because when you exercise faith and you believe by faith, because we can't see Jesus you know, unless he were somehow to miraculously appear, which he can do anything he wants, but it's not like he's going to show up and give us the same opportunity to test the empirical evidence. So therefore, we have to, by faith, believe. And in believing, our eyes are open and we see. And Jesus even says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So notice, John says there's a lot of other stuff Jesus did, didn't get written down here, but these are written, notice, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John says the reason why these things are written here, the record of the ministry and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is so that as many people as possible would hear this good news and by faith believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and have relationship with Him. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be a Christian. And then he closes out with this last chapter. It says, Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to His disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's another term for the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. 
Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together. So two other unnamed disciples here for a total of seven. When you add it up, you have seven of his disciples. Verse 3, I'm going to go out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Okay, so, so they, they fished all night. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Okay, here's this issue again. Like, is his glorified body that different that they couldn't recognize him? Well, uh, this is going to end up being the third appearance of Jesus to the disciples. First was on day one, that Sunday. The second was a week later for the benefit particularly of Thomas. This is going to be the third occasion when Jesus appears in his resurrected, glorified body before he ascends to heaven. Because he will still walk the earth for 40 more days after his resurrection, before he goes up to heaven. And here he is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is different now because they were in Jerusalem. First two appearances in chapter 20, they're in an upper room in Jerusalem. It's right after the Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread. But now they've gone back to the region of the Galilee. This is where Peter had made his living. He was a fisherman when he was first called by Jesus. So he's going back to what he knows to do. I mean, if you had a trade and you left it for three years to follow Jesus... You're going to go back to making a living. You're going to go back to your hometown, Bethsaida, in that region of the northern part of the Galilee. Jesus appears to him. Now, appears to them fishing in the boats. Why didn't they recognize him? Perhaps they, they weren't expecting him. Um, perhaps uh, they still, you know, just out of their own, maybe just amazement. Uh, there's another factor here. It tells us a little bit later that the boat that they're in is 100 yards from shore. Jesus is on shore. All right. So try to imagine seeing someone that you're very familiar with at the other end of a football field. I mean, it's not like you can instantly. I mean, I'd be squinting. Okay, I don't know about you. I'd be squinting like I think that's. But, you know, I think it's just honestly the distance here. And so they're not really sure. And so Jesus says to them, he calls out to them in verse in verse five. Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. You know, I figure that they must be thinking, well, what do we have to lose? We've been fishing all night. We don't have anything. We don't know who this guy is, but let's go ahead and we'll throw the nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who's that? John. Thank you, John. We remember Jesus loved you. Great. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. I, you know, I don't know if he recognized him visually or just the, the idea that all of a sudden some strange guy in a beach told us to throw the net on the right side. We haven't caught a thing all night. And now suddenly we can't haul it in. This is probably Jesus over there who just told us to do this. And so he says, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Interesting, King James Bible says, for he was naked. I guess they kind of fished au natural back in the day. Um, you know, I like fishing too, but none of my buddies are going to be doing that when I'm fishing. Uh, but, you know, it's the culture and it's the day, whatever. They're really comfortable with each other, you know, anyhow. So that's what's going on. Peter probably wanting to be discreet. I think I better put on some underwear because I'm going to go see Jesus. 
And so he puts on some underwear and he jumps in the water. And, and then verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. So that's the distance. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning uh, of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Isn't this amazing? Jesus is cooking them breakfast. I mean, this is just, this, you know, Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And here he is even making breakfast for these guys, serving them like this. And they come off after fishing all night long. They haul in, finally, this one great uh, haul of, of uh, fish in the net, and they find a fire there on the shore, burning coals, fish on it, some bread. And Jesus said to them, verse 10, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fifth fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Now, there's been, you read different Bible commentaries, what's the, what's the significance of 153? And nobody knows. All right. You can spend all day long looking at what's the number. And and everybody kind of gets like that with like Bible numerology. Like, you know, what is, what is the, on the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, what is the ninth toe on the statue of Nebuchadnezzar? I don't know. And, and 153 fish. I don't know. Uh, you know, Jameson Fawcett Brown, he's, he's a, he writes a great commentary and he said basically, um, that it, the whole idea of hauling in the fish so much so that the net was not torn was foreshadowed their success in ministry because they would end up being fishers of men. And I don't know. All right, so let's move on. Ask the Lord when you see him. What was 153 for? There's going to be one guy in the crowd. I guarantee you, when we get to heaven, there's going to be one guy in the crowd. Uh, Jesus? Yeah. What was the 153 fish thing about in John 21? Oy vey. And Jesus said to them, verse 12, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, this this last section here is a continuation of this story. And it happens at a place traditionally, okay, we don't know the exact spot where this happened, but traditionally it happened at a place uh, that in Israel on the Sea of Galilee is called Tabgah. And Jesus has this conversation with Peter that, you know, in my Bible, the subtitle here right at verse 18 says, Jesus reinstates Peter. I don't, that's a man-made subtitle, okay? So don't, don't send me emails like, you're going to contradict the Bible. I'm going to contradict a man-made subtitle. I don't like the word reinstate. I like the word restore. Peter needed restoration, but it, it wasn't like he was out and now you're back in our club. He needed to be restored in his right relationship with the Lord. And there are many people and there might be many here um, that you can look back on your life and you know you have failed the Lord. And the Lord loves to restore people. Now, remember, you won't understand this story unless you remember Peter's failure. Jesus had said in advance at the Last Supper that all his disciples would fall away and they would all not follow him. Peter is the one of the twelve who says, not me, Lord, not me. It will never happen. And in fact, in the language, he uses emphatic words. It'll never happen. They might all fall away. I never will. Did your mama ever tell you never say never? 
okay? That's an emphatic word. It's a dangerous word to use. But Peter, Peter was bold. He goes, I will never fall away in a couple of hours. Remember what he did? And because Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Before 6 a.m. in the morning, you will deny even knowing me three times. That's exactly what happened when Peter was confronted by some commoners there around the scene where Jesus had been arrested, and they confronted Peter. You're one of his followers, right? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. He denied him three times the rooster crows. And so Peter has never had that awkward conversation with Jesus. You know, if you've offended someone and you know you've wronged them, then they walk into the room and you've not had that awkward conversation of I'm sorry and you're just feeling the distance, you know, you're feeling like the awkwardness, you're feeling the, you know, how the relationship is a little broken here. And up to this point, you know, this is the third time that Jesus has appeared to them And Peter's not had this awkward conversation with Jesus. And I don't even know if Peter ever would have, except that Jesus initiates it. And sometimes, by the way, that's what it takes. Because you might be the one that was wronged. You might be the one who was offended. And maybe because of someone's embarrassment or awkwardness, they will never come to you on their own. And you might have to be the one just to initiate. I just want you to know. I love you. And maybe if you open the door that way, they will respond with with like humility and just and clear the air and get right here. So Jesus has to initiate this. Now, this is one of these rare times in the Bible when it is really beneficial to know the original language. I mean, you know, I don't like getting technical like this, but we won't understand. Our English language misses some of this unless you understand a little bit of the Greek. There are four words in the Greek language for the word love. And Jesus is going to use this word in his dialogue with Peter. So this is the reason I'm telling you this. Four words in the English in the Greek language for the word love. Because in English, we say we love potato chips and we say we love our wife. You know, we say we love football and we say, you know, we love, you know, a sunny day. And then we also say we love Jesus. And, the, you know, loving Jesus and potato chips kind of not like the same kind of love. But we only have one word. The Greeks have four words. Eros for where we get our English word erotic love. That's romantic love. Storge is the Greek word for uh, family love. And then there's two other Greek words that are used in this dialogue. One of the words is agapeo. That's the, that's the verb. Agape is the noun. And it means unconditional supreme love. Agapeo. To love unconditionally and to love supremely. It is the highest order of love. Another word there in the Greek language, it is also used in this text, is phileo. The noun is philia. To love phileo is to love like brotherly love, friendship. So those two words are going to be used in this dialogue, and I'll point it out to you. But first, let me read the dialogue, and then I'll come back and point it out to you. So here we go. Verse, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Three, four, five, six, seven times the word love is used here in these uh, three verses from 15 through 17. And you can make notation in your Bible how the dialogue goes here because the, the two different words are used here in this conversation. And it's important to understand, okay? And by the way, notice how many times does Jesus ask Peter if he loves him? How many times? Three times. Any coincidence there? Right? Because Peter denied him three times. What is Jesus giving him the opportunity to do? Affirm your love for me three times. You know, let's get this right. You denied me three times. I'm going to give you the opportunity three times to profess your love for me. The first time that Jesus asks him the question, I'm going to change the word love to the actual Greek. So here we go. First time that he says, Jesus says in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you truly agapeo me more than these? And by the way, we don't know what Jesus is comparing it to. More than what? More than these other disciples? He might even be saying more than these fish, because, you know, sometimes our livelihood, we love more than we love Jesus. So we don't know, we don't know what he's comparing to, but he, but he uses the highest supreme word. Do you agapeo me more than these? And Peter, in his reply, says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. It's very interesting. Now, they're not speaking in Greek, okay? They're speaking in Aramaic, the ancient language of of the Hebrews. But in the Greek, God is breaking it down for us so we know the intent behind their original language. Jesus says, do you supremely love me? And basically, Peter says, I love you like a friend. Now, I admire his honesty here, don't you? Because previously, Peter had overestimated his devotion. And now he's not going to do that. So he backs it way down. I remember a quote that I wrote it down right here in my Bible that Chuck Smith, before he died, Pastor Chuck Smith said, he said, Oh, the folly of the vows we make predicated upon the ability of our flesh. And Peter in, in his flesh had made promises. I'll never forsake you. And he did three times. So this time he's learned. I'm not going to say something I don't mean. So I'm going to humbly say, I don't have the most supreme love for you, Lord. I have a brotherly love for you. Second question, verse 16. Jesus asks again, Peter, do you agapeo me? Second time again, Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. But the third time that Jesus asked the question, this is so beautiful, folks. In verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? And Peter, when he replied, though it says that he was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me, phileo me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Three times, Peter only used the word brotherly love. Twice, Jesus used the highest supreme love. But on the third question, what does Jesus do? He comes down to Peter's level. I just love the way that our Lord stoops to where we are to bring us up. That is his whole ministry. He condescended. He left the glory of heaven and stooped down to us to bring us to a place of a right relationship with him. And when he discerned the true intent of Peter's heart and he understood, you're not going to be able to say agapeo, are you? Because I'm holding you to the highest standard and you honestly are saying to me, you don't want to overestimate your love for me. So you're coming in underneath that and you're saying, I honestly love you like a brother. All I can express is the love of a friend. And Jesus then stoops down to where he is and he says, if you can at least tell me you love me like a friend or a brother for a third time, it's going to be okay. And Peter says, you know that I love you like a brother. 
This is such a beautiful story of restoration here. The man who denied Jesus three times now sees Jesus stooping down to his level, using his own language to come to the place where he can then stoop down to lift Peter up. And now the air has been cleared, and now the love has been restored. I, I suppose, and you know, I don't know this, I suppose that shortly after this conversation, at some other point, Peter was able to say agapeo. But here, he just doesn't want to overestimate his devotion, and Jesus stoops down to where he is to lift him up. And after they have this conversation, Jesus says, verse 18, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, now this, he's saying this to Peter, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Notice that statement, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And it says in verse 9, because we go, what does that mean? Verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Notice the language. When you were young, you kind of were in control of your own life. When you get older, somebody's going to take you by the hand. And he says there, you're going to have your hands stretched out and you will be led where you do not want to go. And then John helps us understand. He's talking about the death that Peter will die. And we know from church history that Peter was crucified on a cross. His hands were stretched out. And history, tradition, history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. Because when Nero, he was crucified in Rome, and when Nero executed him, Peter said that he didn't want to die the same way that Jesus died, so crucify me upside down. I don't feel worthy to die in an upright position. And he was crucified Church history tells us, tradition tells us, not in the Bible, tells us he was crucified upside down. What a lot of people don't know, and this is worth mentioning, I actually was asked to be a part of, and still am on an advisory board to a Christian film that is in the process of being produced and will at some point um, you know, get into the theaters, but right now it's in its infancy stage, and I was asked as an advisor to review this script. And I came to this place in the script, which talked about Peter's wife. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't know about this. And I actually learned something. I had to research this to verify if it was true. Eusebius, the Greek historian who lived in the third century AD, says that Peter's wife was crucified with him. And that she was actually crucified first. And Peter said to her as she was about to be crucified, remember the Lord. A lot of people don't know that Peter's wife, and Peter was married, we know that from the Bible, that Peter's wife was crucified with him according to history because she also was a follower of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says this, and then verse 20, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was that? John was following them. And just so we know that it was John, he tells us in parentheses, this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? All right, I was that guy. And Peter, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Don't you love how people are always concerned about the other guy? It's really just about you, all right? It's not about the other guy. And, and so Peter's like, well, what about John? What about this guy? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You know, mind your own business. This is, a, this, is a, this is not, we're not talking about John, we're talking about you. And because of this, verse 23, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die, but Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. Who's this? 
John, and we know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary's been going through the book of John. If you missed any part of this message, you can hear it again on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You might want to download our mobile app so you have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd love to meet you. Please join us for worship and Bible study. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other info on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We hope and pray you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of John. Please know that we're praying for you too. Although we're out of time for today, keep reading on your own in the book of John until Pastor Gary continues teaching through this extraordinary account of Jesus' life on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.